Thanks for listening to the AI and IT Ops podcast brought to you by New Relic. This is Episode 9, The Full Interview. For all things application performance management, AI ops, digital transformation, and more, check out www.apmdigest.com. Our guest today is Sean McDermott, President and CEO of Windward Consulting Group. And now, your host of the podcast, industry veteran, consultant, and analyst, Andy Thurai. Welcome to AI and IT Ops Podcast. I am Andy Thurai, founder and principal at thefieldcto.com home of unbiased emerging technology advisory services. Our guest for this episode is Sean McDermott, CEO of Winward Consulting. Sean, welcome to the show and to the hot seat. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So, Sean, I, I know you are working on the 2020 IT economic impact study due to be released soon. A new, few noteworthy points caught my attention there. Can we talk about it, though it's not public yet? Sure. Okay. But before we get to your report, I want to ask you something. In in the last few years, especially with the cloud, multi-cloud, hybrid cloud, the combinational, as someone would say, confusing concepts, <laughs> there's a huge IT tools sprawl. With that, you know, we have an increased spend from enterprises, long learning curves, as with any new tool set integrating them back into the existing tool set, adding complexity. Let's start off by discussing that heavy, hard and heavy topic. What, what do you say? What's your, what's your opinion? Well, it's something near and dear to my heart. As I've been running a, a consulting company for the last 25 years, I think one of my very first engagements was around helping our customer understand what tools they have. You know, I've asked three questions for the last 25 years, and I have yet to get a really good answer from anybody. And that is, how many tools do you have? What do you spend on your tools? And how are those tools working for you? And the fact that I've never really gotten a good answer from that, to me, is very problematic that there is a substantial problem across the entire IT industry that we are spending and buying tools all the time without a real understanding of how they all work together and what the entire ecosystem looks like. And you could look at it and say, well, you know, it's a spending problem, and it certainly is a spending problem. But it's, to me, it creates much more systemic issues. I think it results in a data problem where you've got a lot of different groups that have access to their own tools. That leads to delivery issues. So it starts creating delivery risk. Uh, a number of my clients complain pretty much all the time that when there's a priority one outage, they get a whole bunch of people on the phone and everybody's looking at each other and looking at their own tools and saying, well, it's not my problem. We actually coined this uh, MTTI, mean time to innocence. So how fast can somebody get off the phone because it's not their problem? And they say, well, my tool is showing it's not a problem. So they drop off the phone. It's creating all kinds of issues in the industry. And it's also, you know, if you don't really understand how these tools are working for you. One of the issues may be you don't understand what you need these tools to do for you. So there's this real gap in understanding what do we want tools to do for us and what do we need to, in order to be successful in our jobs. And when you don't know that, if you don't know what you want, then you're probably going to have a lot of gaps in your coverage. Because when we go into customers and we start asking these questions and we start 
saying, hey, what you really need to do, for example, if you want to do identity and access management and we're able to activate requirements around that area, most of our customers are actually surprised that in order to do best in class identity and access management, you need to do these 30 or 40 things and they're not even doing five or six of them, but they never even knew that. So you're spending a lot of money on these tools and they're not meeting your needs. And to me, that also opens up a lot of risk, right? And risk around delivery, as I just talked about, but you've got security risk, you've got reputational risk, you've got customer experience risk, you've got employee experience risk. So tool sprawl to me, it's a disease <laughs> that manifests itself in all kinds of way and creates all these different symptoms in the organization. And we as IT industry seem to be much more inclined to treat the symptoms and not necessarily the root of the cause. So, you know, if you're a doc if you if you're if you're going to a doctor and you're saying, hey, I've got a rash over here and I got an ache over here, you may have, you know, some kind of deficiency of nutrients in your body that are creating these things across multiple symptoms across your body, and you should really treat the problem and not the symptoms. And that's kind of where we are today. Love your uh, new acronym, MTTI, Mean Time to Innocence. <laughs> Going to start using that. You know, the thing is, as you said, whenever an enterprise has a problem, they're like, okay, let's, let's do a POC. Let's bring in two or three more tools. Too many tools is not always an answer. So I saw that in your report, you say about 64% of the companies are pivoting into new services or products based on uh, COVID-19. Numbers could be a little higher or low, but that's what I saw. What will product and service pivots mean for IT leaders? Uh, how about right now in the current situation and maybe in the next few years when things get back to semi-normal? So we were surprised by that answer. I'll just be very upfront about that because the survey really went out to large companies companies with over 5,000 employees, primarily United States companies. And my thought was that a lot of these large companies, they don't pivot. You don't move the battleship, right? The battleship slowly moves one way or the other. And, and maybe inside of that, there, you know, there might be product lines or business lines that are doing some interesting things and pivot. So when we saw that number, I was taken back by it. One of the things we did with this survey, too, is that we reached out to a lot of uh, respondents to actually talk to them and try to understand the context of their decision. So what we found with that question was that the IT organization itself is being pressured to pivot, really, by the circumstances. And when you have a mass move of people to remote, it changes everything. And you know, one example is the Department of Defense. I was on a call with the CIO of the Pentagon. You know, they moved 90% of the Pentagon to remote working within three weeks. You know, if that was a normal government program to work remote, it probably would have taken three years. But you know, crisis creates you know action. So what we find is that the IT leaders, they really looked at that question more introspectively and said, how do we how do we now operate and what do we need to do to pivot in order to support this new remote working? And it's not even so much the IT organization itself, it's the company as a whole, because IT professionals, we're pretty adept at working remote, right? We're tech savvy people. We know how to get access to things on our laptop. And a lot of IT people are mobile anyways, we're traveling and things like that. But the rest of the company, may not be. You know, the underwriters of the insurance company, the adjusters, they may not be. 
right? So really it's about how does IT help the companies move to and start looking at transformation of internal processes, internal services in order to continue to keep productivity high and in order to continue to deliver on that customer experience. So we certainly did find some companies that were talking about their products and moving some of their products and pivoting. Like we talked to a manufacturing company that had a product that was underperforming and now because of COVID and trying to keep workspaces safe, it's an air handling unit. You're pivoting that into markets like hospitals and businesses and schools to add another layer of clean air. Then all of a sudden they have a market, right? And we talked to another company that was a services provider and they're looking at this as a real opportunity to pivot some of their security solutions and beef up their security solutions for their clients. But in general, it really was based on how to shift with this remote working. I mean, we had one company even say, we don't use digital signatures. So that is a huge disruption to their business when all of a sudden people can't physically sign things anymore. So I think what's going to happen here over the next couple of years, because I, I contend that this remote working is going to be a seismic shift in businesses and we're not going back to what we know of you know pre-covid i don't know if we're ever going to get back there again right because there's a number of companies announcing that you know people aren't going back until next summer people are going to get really used to working from home and things are going to change and i think this is a really good opportunity for it organizations to relook at their internal processes looking how they do things and start investing in IT. Now, I do believe that IT is going to come out of this a real winner, right? Because technology is really going to be one of the major things that gets us out of this and gets us into a new normal and allows us to realign our investments in how we do things and the processes to really not only focus on customer experience, but employee experience. So, yeah, that's actually pretty much in line with what I also hear from the field, right? The pivot, which uh, is good for IT to an extent, uh, a lot of people are caught lead-footed. But uh, you know the the ones that that are already engaging in a digital transformation, remote workforce, moving to cloud, uh, all of the above, sped things up. Given that shifting priorities and and pivoting product lines are very normal going forward, how can IT leaders responding to shifting priorities with agility? Keep in mind. You know, this is not the only time this is happening and it's not going to end with that. There's, there'll be something else, right? Can, can they still meet their overall digital transformation objectives by adjusting during, a, as they call it, halftime of the football game? Yeah, I think the pandemic is causing priorities to shift and those priorities will create new opportunities. They'll delay some opportunities and they'll accelerate some things. So one area where it, I think, may accelerate is in security and where investments should be made now that you have a much larger workforce and much distributed. Um, you know, one of the things our survey found was that if the IT initiatives are not tied to some kind of business outcome, whether it be revenue or delivery of some type of service or optimization of supply chain management, something like that, then it's probably going to get delayed. 
right? And in some cases, we have a saying in the sales world, right? Time kills deals. And it's the same thing here. If when a project gets delayed, it's going to get replaced by something that the business believes is more important. I think one of the things that came across in our survey really loud and clear was the emphasis on people. And, you know, the survey results around where cuts are being made and where priorities are being laid down. A lot of the cuts are coming from very normal sources, right? Consultants and contractors go first, right? They get thrown overboard pretty quickly. That's with any downturn. Really looking at vendor contracts, but those are difficult, right? Vendor contracts are very difficult to change because they're multi-year contracts and you got to get two people to the table. And it's not like a, a contractor or a small contractor that may have a more flexibility in the contract. A lot of these outsourcing deals do not. So that came in pretty high, but I don't suspect that there's going to be a lot of results coming out of that because you got to get the outsourcers to agree. I think you will see in a couple of years a pretty big shift in people bringing outsourcing back in. And I think that's being driven by a couple of reasons. One is outsourcing is cyclical, right? We can go back over the last 25 years and it looks like a sine wave, right? The, you know, you outsource, you pull back, you outsource and pull back. And I think we're going to see a pullback because a lot of companies, and these are some of the conversations we had with people, are frustrated that their contractors aren't working with them and they feel like they don't have the freedom and flexibility. So some of our, our the respondents we talked to and some of our own customers today are already talking about bringing things inbound. The other thing is the number one thing to not get cut was internal staff. Across the board, across multiple questions we asked, that was the theme of not losing people. And even when some companies were talking about revenue going down maybe 15, 20%, which is a huge number, staffing was going down by five, right? So I think that that plays into the cyclical nature of, of the next few years where bringing more people in, getting that intellectual property back into the organization, keeping the people, all the best people you can through this so that they're going to help you, you know, manage out of it. What I think is also going to happen, you know, byproduct of this is that competition among skilled talent in IT is going to continue to grow. And I think that companies that now are embracing remote working are now understanding that they can tap into nationwide talent pools. But I think being in IT is probably probably a pretty safe area for people over the next few years. Yeah, in IT, the layoff hasn't affected people because um, if there is any, they, they need more IT workers, particularly in the observability and AI ops. The work is uh, more than uh, almost all these companies can handle, at least everyone's I track. Um. So the work from home and, and the completely remote concept messed everything up, obviously, right? Uh, everyone is working remotely, getting a Zoom fatigue, budget cuts, layoffs, and, and reduced or, or even zero socialization for weeks or months at a time. How can leaders increase uh, morale amongst the remote workers? What, what are you seeing with the companies that you're working with? Can uh, technology help a little bit out there or what? So we have this problem ourselves, right? And uh, while we're a consulting company that supports, you know, Fortune 500 companies across the nation and in some cases in the world, um, we do have somewhat of a spread out workforce. We do have a 
a large contingent of our staff in the Washington, D.C. area. And, you know, so for me, one of the things is as a leader is to be much more connected to your staff and building connectedness into the entire levels of your management team. So I think there's kind of three themes that I look at as a CEO of multiple companies. One is connectedness. Another one is engagement. And another one is empathy. And I'll start with empathy first. We're in a very interesting time that you've got a number of people, and especially in the Washington, D.C. area, but I think in a lot of you know large cities, this is relatively true. We've got a lot of dual income households and you've got kids now staying from home. And I think this is really affecting, you know, kind of the late millennial generation and Gen X. It's a mess. So we as leaders need to be empathetic to that. And we need to really listen to our staff to help them figure out what the best thing is for them in order to be most productive and have really work-life balance. And we need to respect that. And we need to be able to have conversations with our staff about, one, how to manage through that, what tools we can give them, and also you know, how to you know, make sure that they do take time off. I, I, we found that out in the beginning of this pandemic for like, like nobody took any vacation for like four months and that's not healthy, you know, and you know, people need time off and there's no place to go. So they just kept working. And I, I know myself, you know, I was working 12, 13 hours a day. So I was, I mean, every day was the same Sundays, Saturdays, Sundays, everything was the same. Luckily I see that changing. So I think that we need to embrace that. We need to, we need to be, you know, stay connected to people. And, you know, one of the things that I'm shifting around now, right, is being intentional about engaging and connecting with people. So when the pandemic first started, we did weekly broadcasts, you know, webinars, but basically a broadcast to the team every single Thursday and to the companies about uh, where we're at and where we're going and what the thing. And I would add in there, uh, transparency and honesty is really, really important. And not to get political, but I think that we're in this age right now of a lot of misinformation and distrust of information on on all sides and it's creating an incredible amount of anxiety and one of the things that you don't want in your organization is for people to have a lot of anxiety about what you're doing as a leader and what you're trying to solve so we were extremely transparent overly transparent about what we were doing possible cuts we were going to make what our cash flow looked like and the feedback was really positive on that and the other thing i'm doing is reaching out to people so the whole idea of going to the office and having all these ad hoc and random connections with people you know at the water cooler at the lunch room or whatever they're all gone Right. So we have to, as leaders, be much more intentional about engaging with people. And you asked a question about tools and systems. I think that's where we also can make some very key investments around communication, collaboration tools and policies around it. So for one thing, we fully embraced Google Meets and I don't have phone calls with anybody anymore. I mean, everything we do now is video and we do that because we want to get that engagement. We want to see people face to face. It's the next best thing of actually being sitting down with somebody. And we also have gone really all in on our methodologies for projects and and we use Agile for a lot of our client engagements, Um, but now we're adopting Agile internally. 
So these are investments that we're making in tools and systems to really make people feel more connected, but also keep people productive and keep people really engaged in the projects and engaged with their teammates. The AI and ITFs podcast will be back shortly. I'm Pete Golden, the publisher of APM Digest, and I just want to take a break for a minute to talk to you about New Relic, the sponsor that brought you this podcast today. New Relic has done something a little out there. They reworked everything. See, they've been actually listening when people talk about blind spots or being stuck with a dozen different tools or getting hit with hidden costs. First, they went open source, making it so you can actually instrument what you need. Then they made it so you can monitor your whole stack in one place, including serverless. You can use telemetry data from any source for ridiculously cheap, and there's one UI with all your tools. And they completely changed their pricing so you can easily predict it. This is advantageous because who has time to troubleshoot their bill? Best of all, there's a free tier with one user and 100 gigabytes per month, totally free. So you can really make sure it works before you pay a dime. New Relic is definitely worth another look. Check it out at newrelic.com. Observability made simple. And now back to the podcast. There's another nugget from your report that I wanted to talk about. You are suggesting, or the report is suggesting rather, 85% of the Fortune 1000 IT teams have made adjustments to their 2020 goals based upon the impact of the COVID-19. It doesn't go into the details of what adjustments. Would you mind talking about what kind of adjustments? You know, the, the challenge with surveys, you know, just a footnote before I answer is that if you make the survey too long, not many people respond to it. And if you make it too short, it doesn't tell you much, right? So that's one of the reasons why we follow up with a lot of these organizations and have one-on-one interviews with them just to understand the context. So we felt like we kind of hit the sweet spot on the number of questions to keep people engaged and actually complete the survey. You know, when we look at the 2020 investments for next year, overwhelmingly at the top is data analytics and security, right? Those are the two top areas that people are looking to invest in. Tools rationalization actually was kind of a little high up. It was around fifth place, which was um, pretty interesting and warmed my heart <laughs> because I've, I've been you know, uh, promoting tools rationalization for 25 years. But, you know, clearly IT is a data-driven organization. And a lot of the feedback I got from people was related to they're getting a lot of information coming in now. And where they really want to start making some investments is understanding that data and really using that data to start making better business decisions. And, you know, so I think you're going to see a lot more investments in that area you know, data scientists and things like that and trying to relate that data. And a lot of that data, you know, can tell you some really interesting things, you know, pulling data around remote logins, right, can help you start setting strategy on where you should be doing as far as increasing remote work capabilities, investing and making it easier, investing in VPNs and and doubling down on VPN security and, and looking at laptop security and things like that. And that really led into the second area, and that was security, right? And security, I think one of the reasons why it was so top of mind of people is speed and security really don't go well together. And we were in a situation where we moved incredibly fast as a society into remote working, and there wasn't really a lot of time to figure out how secure things were. And I think there's a a fair amount of anxiety out there now of 
oh, we need to go back and we need to make sure that we didn't open up a lot of security holes. So I think over the next, you know, six to, to 12 to 18 months, you're going to see a fair amount of investments in that a lot of thoughts going into what is the best security posture now that our organization has changed is what we've been doing in the past uh, going to translate to what our future is going to be. I think the challenge right now for a lot of IT organization is what is the future going to be? And I think right now we're in this really interesting time because there's so much, it's like a perfect storm of things going on. And you've got COVID-19, you've got social unrest, you've got really partisan politics and election coming up. And the news is just not good on any front, right? So it's like any one of those things would be hard enough to deal with. And and you've got them all going on at one time. And there doesn't seem to be an end. You know, one of the things that we heard a lot too was the beginning rumblings of this because the survey ran through the summer, we did a lot of interviews in August. And a lot of what we were starting to hear is that 2021 is going to look a lot like 2020 because we're moving into budgeting season right now. And there's no clear vision of what the future is going to look like. And you can make a lot of guesses on the political front. You don't know if there's a vaccine coming. You don't know if you're going back to work in the spring or the summer next year. Uh, you just don't know. And so right now, I think that whatever IT leaders are dealing with today, as far as priorities and shifting priorities and the number of staff they have and budgets that they have right now, if they've been cut, is probably going to carry into you know, at least the first half of 2021. So, you know, you're going to see a lot of shifting, right? And it kind of back to one of your earlier questions of what happens to IT initiatives and if they're not falling in line with, you know, security and, and customer experience um, and really employee experience and, and tie to business objectives, they're probably going to be shelved. And if they get shelved too long, they're probably going to get canceled. So, IT leaders really need to start understanding and preparing for that. At the same time, you know, being a a visionary leader, you're always looking at what can I have in my back pocket if things start turning around and, you know, I'm free to start doing more things. I have more budget or I have more discretion to start taking on some new engagements. What are going to be the biggest things? And I think that spring of 2021 is not going to look like spring of 2020. Yeah. when it rains, it pours, as they say, right? So I would have guessed the uh, security data analytics and probably process optimization as the top three adjustments as well. So now that you mentioned those two, particularly data analytics and process optimization, even security for that matter, all of them have been around for a while, while being since the, the IT started, right? Does AI ops help accelerate or hurt the process of any one of them? Well, I think if you look at all of them um, and you start looking at operations in general, right? Let's, let's not talk about AI ops quite yet. Let's just talk about operations. What's happening in the operations world is you've got an extraordinary amount of data coming in now more data than they've ever had to deal with. And IT infrastructure is just so much more complex. You've got cloud, you've got virtualized servers, microservices, 
Internet of Things and yeah, you know, just look at Internet of Things, right? I mean, studies you know out there right now that you know, five billion Internet of Things going up to twenty billion over the next four or five years, and everything's instrumented. Everything's instrumented now, and everything's kicking off data, and all that information is coming into these operations teams, and it's just humanly incapable of processing that data to understand what's real, what the root of the problem is, what trends are we seeing and how do we get proactive? And then you look at the automation side of things. When you look at all this and you look at AI ops, it's actually the perfect storm for AI ops too. Like AI ops couldn't have come along at a better time. I look at AI ops as a strategy, right? It's not a platform. And there's a lot of vendors out there. I mean, I, I was at a Gartner show in the spring and I don't, I think there was 125 vendors and half of them were talking AI ops. So there's a lot of buzz around AI ops and it's not a platform. It's not a technology. It's a strategy. And that strategy is not just, you know, machine learning on events, which is where the bulk of AI ops is kind of clustering right now. It's really about the processing of vast amounts of data and the ability to move into a more analytical and prescriptive and automated methodology. So when, so AI right now is really factoring very well into what our survey came back with, and that is lots of data. AI ops fits into that really well. Machine learning to go through that data, process it, look for trends, pull the things out, get lots of data down into single decision points. The next step of that, and, and security falls into that, the next step of that is moving into and using machine learning for prescriptive routines and recommended prescriptive routine, routines. And then the last part of that is really automation. And you can't automate unless you have processes. So you have to have processes tied to prescriptive models. So when you look at the survey and you see people talking about process optimization, to me, that is really the beginning of understanding what are our processes, how do we streamline them, and how do we automate them? Because if you're an IT leader sitting there saying, hey, we may be in this for a while, and I'm not going to have the staff that I thought I was going to have, we have to automate. You don't want to automate bad processes, right? So all these things, I think, tie in really well to AI ops. And like I said, AI ops is really coming into its own at a really, really pivotal time in the history of IT. I'm very excited about it. I think it's one of the biggest things to hit IT operations since I've been in. I'm an ops guy. I've been in this for 30 years. And we're just getting started. That's what's really exciting about this is that we're just literally getting started. Right. Uh, it's it's a long way to go. But the number of vendors who are uh, washing themselves or AI ops washing themselves is not uh, that surprising. Uh, you know, every time a new thing comes up, whether it's AI, ML or cloud, same thing happens. Right. So your report also says that about 60 percent of those who surveyed suggest a five to 30 percent decline in revenues in 2020. How can they continue to spend more on IT by buying those new tools, AI ops and observability and whatnot? and then implement it and do all of that when their top line is down. Generally, when the top line goes down, they always tend to cut the bottom line too, no? Yeah, I think there are certain things that get cut really quickly and marketing and ad spend get cut really quick. So, but it's also an opportunity, you know, of how you go to market and how you engage with your customers. I think what's different about this time around is that the shift of society to home quarantine, and we're far from getting back to normal. And I'm not even entirely sure what normal will be. 
So digital transformation is really the key of how these sectors are going to get out of this. So I think that, you know, if you're a CEO and your top line is going down, you're going to have to cut. And yeah, sure, everyone's going to get affected by it. But you also have to figure out, how am I going to get out of this? And you got to be looking at, you know, where is technology play into the business? How do you get to your customers? So to me, you know, the justification of spending on some of these the initiatives, whether it be AI ops or other things, is really about taking a longer view of how you're going to manage out of this. Because if you cut your IT team down where they're no longer able to innovate and bring new solutions to the product lines that will allow you to be in a much more digitized area, then the company is probably not going to survive. That's the bottom line. Yeah, so this is one uh, bottom line you can't afford to cut. Um, by cutting this, you might get into a spiral. It'll continue to <laughs> reduce your top line and then hands back and forth. Uh, so you recently wrote an article about the uh, five levels of AI ops maturity, an interesting piece to read. Loved it. Tell me more about that. Yeah, so we looked at this and we kind of said, okay, what is, you know, really the genesis of this maturity model was to help people understand where are they in this AI ops journey, right? I've said this before. It's, it's not an event. It's not a platform. It's a journey. It's a multi-year strategy and it can be complex, right? So, uh, and every organization is different and they've invested in certain things. And so we looked at it really five different levels of maturity and, you know, the lowest level being a really reactive organization. So, siloed operations, collecting events and logs, more reactive, kind of constant in firefighting mode, not really a lot of dialogue going on with the business. Second area is what we call integrated. So data sources are integrated into more of a unified architecture. You've probably got a more mature ITSM processes and systems. Your organization silos talk to each other a little bit more, maybe sharing information and have a better connection to the business lines of what they're trying to do and how IT can help them. So level three is analytical. And we're here, we're looking at unified analytics strategy. And it's not just about collecting data and creating a data lake, right? It's really about the ability to analyze that data and use that data for optimizing processes, whether it's ITSM processes or delivery of services. Analytical companies are really driven by measure points and baseline metrics. So they're heavily driven by making decisions based on data. So you're looking at more mature organizations and have data scientists that are really looking at this data, trying to extract the gold out of it. The fourth area we looked at is prescriptive. And I talked about this before, and this is really understanding what are your run books for scenarios and using, again, the analytics and the integrated systems to compare data so you can actually get better understanding of what's going on and have more paths to resolve issues or deliver services. And the last area is automated. This is, to me, the holy grail of everything, right? And the idea here is really to have a very much a holistic strategy and automation is built into everything that you do, right? It's not an afterthought. It's not, oh, this system's up and running. Oh, you know, it'd be nice if like it did this and some guy scripts something. We're not talking about scripting. Right? We're talking about end-to-end -end automation, which means that you've got to be very sophisticated in understanding what are your processes, what are the interface points of all the different systems for that process. Scripts are a part of an automation strategy, right? 
um, integration into systems is part of your automation strategy. So when we look at these five levels, the reality is, is that if we looked at it kind of in a purely perspective, most companies that we're dealing with today are kind of in the integrated analytical area. But there are companies that um, have made heavy investments in other areas. So uh, while they may not be as analytically driven, they've done a lot of work in the automation side. So part of this model is not necessarily it's linear, but it's really about understanding how to take advantage of what you should be doing in each one of those areas. And the other thing is, is that this model is not necessarily meant to say, everyone needs to be at an automated, fully automated level. It costs a lot of money and resources and time to do a full-blown AI ops maturity model as we laid it out. It may not be the right thing to make all those investments. The model allows companies to really understand we only need to go this far. We don't need to go all the way because everything beyond that really doesn't drive an ROI back to us. So that's what we've been working on. Well, IT automation is not easy. It's very involved time-consuming and complex process. Where's the low-hanging fruit for IT automation in the near future? Well, I think the lowest hanging fruit is tying into some of the things that are going on right now and where the business is going over the next you know, 12 to 24 months. Uh, and I read an article this morning that VDI is having kind of resurgence now with COVID and, and remote working. So if that is an area, then to me, that's the lowest hanging fruit. Right. So I think that question is the context of what people is important to the organization really drives that question. And so I would I would answer that if I was talking to a client, I would say, well, what are your priorities over the next 12 to 24 months? What are you trying to achieve? And then let's look into those and say, OK, what can we automate inside of that? And where do we build a strategy to start building upon and kind of doing a lot of small things and that tie together. One of the things I believe in is automation really should build upon itself, right? And that's how you get to really a mature automated organization. And, you know, a lot of people you know, would say, well, we've written a lot of scripts. Scripts are hard to maintain. A lot of times they're not documented. I answer that question by kind of going back to what is the business priority of the organization. And if it's an IT organization and, and they're trying to be themselves be more efficient, then one of the things that we do is we say, okay, let's do some analysis. Let's look at where your alerts and your events and your tickets are being opened up. What's the vast majority of those? And let's boil those down into the top five. And let's look at each one of those and build an automation strategy around them. Awesome. Thanks so much, Sean, for the great conversation. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So you heard from Sean. Do you agree? Disagree? Or if you have an opinion, let me know. Let's discuss this further. Also, if you'd like to be part of our podcast, let me know as well. Until next episode, so long and stay safe.